0: everyone. My name is Ben and welcome to Behind the Bathrooms, a podcast where we talk about bathrooms, business, and everything in between. I'm joined by my co-host Steve Nokovic, director and founder of Novali Bathrooms. This episode, we'll be talking about numbers and it may not be everyone's favorite topic, but Steve and I will break it down into the simplest terms and keep it engaging for you. Now, without further ado, let's start the episode. Hi, Steve. How are you going?
1: Mate, I'm doing fantastic, Ben. Thanks again for uh, organizing all of this.
0: Uh, It's my pleasure. It's always great to come on and learn more about the business and um, bathrooms. So we're talking about numbers um, and in the topic of numbers in business, whether that's sales and marketing, operations, finances, and even the customer experience, I know from my experience, new business owners are definitely abundant in passion and hard work. But having a successful long-term business cannot be done without a solid strategy and numbers to manage consistent performance and output. So before we dive into this topic, Steve, can you explain to the listeners why knowing your numbers is important and how it has impacted your business?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, thanks, Ben. So for, for me, I, I don't know if, again, it's a natural thing, um, but from day one, I've always wanted to understand um, how am I going to make decisions? And decisions are getting made based on all of these numbers. Uh, I remember when we first started uh, renovating, I wanted to know a, a whole heap of different uh, bits of data, let's say, um, just even time on site so I know how much of my time needs to get allocated. Uh, all, all, of these, all of these little things, and we'll go through it, I guess, um, today with however many more numbers we sort of try and track to make sure we run uh, nice and uh, efficiently, um, but without those numbers, there's no way that we would have been able to grow a business consistently uh, and and be able to make some of those decisions quickly. And I, I think it's not just the speed, it's the, with confidence. Yeah. So there's been many, many times e- even here and of late where I'll have someone question something and it will be like, uh, you know, you're not worried. It's like, no, 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 An average is an average and everything sort of comes through and I've been tracking these numbers for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and they always come come through. So confidently being able to make those decisions, it makes my life um, uh, a hell of a lot easier.
0: No, absolutely. If you know your numbers, you can definitely understand and forecast what's going to happen based on that performance. And that leads on to my next question that I'm going to ask is that numbers is I feel that it's the gauge and the barometer of a process. So what I'd like to ask you is how do you manage these processes and the model of your business using these numbers
1: yes so uh, if I'm getting the question right basically we've set set up some reporting structure which is based on um, our kPIs and those KPIs obviously have numbers that need to be be met um, and we can then check that process so if we've got a if we've got a process let's say to our sales appointment. And that sales appointment is designed to have a phone call come through and <clears throat> um, contact is made, let's say, within 24 hours. An appointment is booked ideally within a three- to four-day period. Um, response back with an actual estimate is within a one- to two-day period. Uh, knowing the conversion rate, so let's say the number of of um, closed leads, so being able to sell and, and win that job, we can go back and look at if someone's getting a conversion rate 10% higher than someone else or 5% lower than someone else, we can go back and manage and look at that number and see whether that's a cause and effect onto that conversion rate. So if everything else remains the same and the sales process um, is pretty standard across the board, and yes, there's varying personalities and and discussions that get had, but if we can sort of minimize that part of um the person involved having their spin on it and go back to that number as as one let's say that's only one point we can look at to check and verify that that process has been fulfilled and then the conversion rate will actually help us identify that there might be an issue and then we go back to those numbers and that like i said the time frame on um responding to a customer and getting an estimate back to a customer so we would use that number to help us identify if there was an issue.
0: Yeah, and I hope that made sense. That that did make sense for me. Hopefully for the listeners, but that's fine. And in saying that, you're talking about conversion rates and using that as barometer. Uh, Let's bring it back a little bit and say, how how do you come up with the number for your conversion rate? How do you um, set up the acceptable conversion rate number and target?
1: Uh, We didn't. We didn't. We don't have like an industry. I'm not aware of any industry benchmark for conversion rates. But based on collecting the data from day one and being able to tweak um, the process of going and quoting, let's say at that time, just going out quoting a job and trying to come up with the best solution for a customer, we just track that conversion rate and funnily enough, that conversion rate for me on an average has always been the same even from day one, even though we've got more tools to use. So to me, I look at it and go, it's a lot of it is in the how you're educating the customer, right? So, but I've been able to just track it, whether whether our conversion rate is higher or lower than the industry. I'm not aware of it. We're sort of running our own race and we're sort of trying to get our other guys and the guys that are out there doing what I used to do um, to a level of where I was, let's say. So we're using that as our gauge, and not necessarily an industry gauge.
0: Right. I think that's that's very important to to know actually, because I feel that um, people always think, even myself when I was doing my business, is that there's always an industry average. You know, that's the say that's like the twenty percent conversion rate you've got to hit that. But no, every business is different. It operates differently. You have different costs. You have different processes. I think that's a great point you've pointed out that you you create um, a rate and a number that suits yourself that keeps you going and gets you to the target goals that your business needs. So even in saying that, I like to. I'm quite curious of when you started off in the Valley, What what? How did you build these numbers
1: um, up? Uh, the the first couple of numbers were those what we've just sort of said. So I'd want to know obviously how many quotes am I doing and and how often am I winning a job, but but that's from the sales and marketing bit. So I would track as well. Um, it's not just the conversion rate overall. Yes, it's an average, but actually each individual segment. So we would track, you know, if we had um, a friend or a Google lead or a previous client or a referral, depending on even where the referral came from, it might be from a supplier, uh, even signing. So we'd break it down and we've got, I think, about 20, 20 different aspects of where we collect um, different conversion rates from. That is something I always wanted to know because at the end of the day, I want to know where am I actually putting my time and investment into. So if I'm getting a higher conversion rate on a, I don't know, Google lead over, um, I don't know, van signage or something like that, I'm going to be investing a bit more in the Google lead. Um, Maybe that's probably not the best example, but understanding let's say from a paper to a Google lead, you know, knowing that I'd be investing more money into Google. So that was something that I always want to track from the beginning. Even, even a lot of the numbers that we track now, most of them were tracked from the beginning. We would want to know uh, for myself personally, obviously I valued my time and I'd want to know how much time am I spending on site. So I, I could identify pretty pretty quickly that I would do 40 hours of work on a job, right? So if I'm doing 40 hours of work on a job over two weeks, which is 20 hours per week on a job – I then know in order for me to grow, I need to be able to replace my time on site. But if I'm replacing my time on site, I also need to know how much time is it taking me to actually secure a job. And based on my conversion rate on securing a job and how much time it actually takes to win the job. So if it takes, you know, you're driving to a job, you're quoting a job, and again, this isn't happening at nine o'clock at night. But if you're if you're understanding, if you are able to understand how long it takes you to do the quote, then you know how much of your time you need to be replacing. So if if I'm doing a quote and say simply for, let's just go, it's a 25% conversion or a 50%, it doesn't matter what the number is, um, you know that for every four quotes that you do, you're winning, let's say, one. Right. So if I've got to go and quote four jobs, And it takes me five hours to do a quote. And being realistic, you've got to get there. You've got to do the quote. You've got to complete it. You're going back and forth with the customer a bit here and there. Um, It could be four hours, whatever you think it is. If you do the number on, okay, four four quotes times five hours, it's 20 hours to be able to just win one job. So I've got to spend half a week basically on a 40-hour week just to win one job.
0: And what i like to point out is that Steve hasn't really raised anything about financials yet. And I think that's um, one kind of misconception about numbers that people think it's all about finances, about the money. It's about having that target budget. But from my experience and from um, expertise and seeing successful businesses, it comes from having a, a solid process and system in place and using the numbers as, as Steve has mentioned in in an example of using such as like time, measuring time for things, and understanding how much you need to manage to get that successful output, and that's very important. It comes numbers come first come from the process, and then having good processes, using the numbers to gauge and manage that. And then then the financials and the success and the cash flow and all that will come. But we will explain that later. Sorry, I kind of jumped the gun there. So um, I guess another question in terms of numbers, do you feel that with these kind of things, there's like a sweet spot for each of these numbers for each of the processes or is it kind of just something that floats and you need to adjust it for whatever the situation is?
1: Uh, I'd say the sweet spot comes with with, um, time as well. So you've got... Um, for us, our KPIs get increased every year, right? So every year, especially from when you start, let's say from year one, if you're starting out there, starting a business, Your ex- the expectation isn't going to be to, um, you know, be hitting year five targets right on year one. And, and, and even just saying that, if in year one your goal and you've set a target to uh, – complete 20 bathrooms for the year, let's say 10 bathrooms for the year, you want to complete 10 bathroom renovations for the first year, you know that the following year that part of those 10 bathrooms are hopefully, if you're going to deliver quality, you're going to get a, a whole heap of referrals from those 10 bathrooms, right? Through their, through them themselves or through their friends or someone seeing your work. So, So we know the following year that your conversion rate Based on having more referrals is going to be higher, mm. right? So then your cost per lead or cost per winning job drops significantly because you then it goes back to understanding your conversion rate on a referral versus a conversion rate on a on a Google lead. Yeah. So we're using those numbers to track and and and, that, and going back to that the model. It's it's not necessarily you know say uh, year one. Let's go and and hit Google and spend a fortune, right, on on Google because we know the conversion rate on a Google lead is super expensive, which means we're paying a lot of money for a Google lead. But in the same time, if you do that in year one, you're also not going to be building your referral base and you're not going to have time to build up your um, team.
0: No, I definitely agree. And what i like to kind of add on to that is that, yeah, I think a lot of um, businesses, and I, I have done the same, is that I would overinvest in things and not knowing the numbers and not not really setting those targets and really kind of being disciplined with it. But I'm also very curious of with these numbers. You use a lot of the um, numbers to forecast, actually, and I was just wondering how reliable is are these forecasts usually using the historical data that you've tracked over time?
1: Uh, our forecasts are always conservative so we will always hit them or exceed them even during this covid uh and surprisingly we're in um, august now and we've never been busier it's a lot of people are um renovating bathrooms i guess <clears throat> um but yeah with our forecasting we're realistic with our numbers so we um aren't always you know adding extra knowing our numbers we we're going to to what they are not you know not exceeding having these crazy targets um with with the forecasting, that's that's allowed us to just be able to build our teams based on where we want to go. Um, knowing those numbers and having, having the data for all those years, again, we can confidently go, well, the average is an average and we can go back and put that in our forecasting tool, which allows us to um, confidently grow in a safe, consistent manner.
0: Yeah, and going back on that actually – so, do you feel that knowing these numbers in of are really accurate because you know the process as well? you know the capability of your team, so then you can forecast pretty much well obviously conservatively but relatively accurately because you know these things and that you confidently are aware of how it works and
1: well being a, like I said, tracking it for that many years yeah. that's given me the the ability to have the confidence and and, and not just that like we're forecasting out for for 12 months we're forecasting out actually for many years ahead but let's say for for 12 months it's a pretty detailed forecast but we're actually viewing and monitoring that it it can be viewed and monitored daily but on a monthly basis we're stopping and checking where are we at and it's the same it's the same as a job you go and renovate a job you don't just renovate and get to the end of it and go i haven't checked my work i haven't done this and i haven't done that as a business we're stopping and checking Every month, and and I mean a detailed check on exactly where we are in regards to our forecast and what our targets are set set at.
0: Yeah, and these these reports are just really simple Excel spreadsheets. Once again, Excel seems to be the yeah. the magic tool, not even the magic tool, just a simple tool that can do a lot. And it's just really tracking down the processes. And I think this is another thing that many people. Um, I am I used to be an accountant, so it's different. So I love tracking down the numbers and writing things down. And has these reports really just been writing down and measuring the processes and just tracking over time? Is that, is that how you've built these reports?
1: Well, yeah. So the reports are based on what I think. Yeah. What I think is valuable to track. You know, some people might say you don't need to track all this and you don't need to have that much data. But everything that is it is there, it is either there to track for – uh mainly for us it's first a better customer experience. It's efficiency from our end, which is I guess a, a GP, a gross profit um a number. Um but but we're making a lot of promises and commitments to customers and even to our guys, say our staff or our subbies. And we want to make sure that by viewing and monitoring these these um targets, KPIs, the dashboard that we've created, being able to oversee that regularly uh, it allows us to make sure that whatever we've committed to, we've been able to deliver. And if we haven't, for whatever reason, we've got a very, we can, we can fix it or or rectify anything in a very quick, quick time frame.
0: Right. And in saying that, I think we can jump into the process now. So let's jump into the sales and marketing process. Are you able to enlighten listeners of how the um, sales and marketing process works for Navalny?
1: For For us, it's pretty, pretty simple. We're not we're not um, trained salespeople. We're not marketers. We're, we've just been able to build the process that we currently have through understanding what we believe the customer needs. So so a lot of our sales process is just about educating the customer on on, on what we do, what's out there, what's, what's available to them and really coming up with the best solution to their problem But or the, the, well, to what they're trying to achieve. So the process bit is the phone, the phone ringing, how we answer the phone, how quickly we get to them, how, how professionally we respond to them. Like I said, the time frame on someone contacting us, we're, we're generally contacting them back within 10 or 15 minutes, but we give ourselves 24 hours. Um, and then from there, it's how quickly do you get out there and make an appointment that's suitable to them. So it's not just hey, I'm coming out there at this time. It's like what's going to suit them. Understanding that customer and going, is it a school mom? Is it a teacher? Is it who, who? Who is the person that we're going to see? And then how can we better sort of deliver that sales part to? And that's not again. It's it's just through experience, understanding that certain people have requested X, and we sort of make that happen, and then we can offer to that to the same type of customer proactively, right? Um, so the process bit is a lot of it's on the time frame from us. And then, and we've spoken about this before, it's the, the consult appointment or the appointment that we have with a customer. It's detailed and we go into all the nitty gritties of what they can have and what they can't have and what's a nice to have and what's a, um, you know, a necessity. And we just make sure it's completely detailed and completely transparent and it's given to them in a very, very timely manner in order for them to make a decision. So it's not – there is no fancy, you know, sales script. or the, We don't have any of that. We just go out there, try and find what the customer wants, why they're renovating, what are they hoping to achieve, and come up with the best possible solution for them. But using all those other bits that I just said, the timing, and and we think that there's a lot of value in that. And then we track that so we can see if someone's got a higher conversion rate or a lower conversion rate than someone else, we can go back to that as a number and say, well, hang on. You're, sp- you're taking an extra two days to get to the customer and you're taking an extra two days to hand them the quote back. So why is that happening? Yeah. You know, and that could be just I've, I've taken on too many quotes. I haven't pre-qualified my quotes. So there's all of these numbers and aspects that we look at when we're going back to review and monitor why a, um, a number has been achieved.
0: And once again, you've, you've mentioned time a lot, which is it's I think a lot of it's very overlooked in a process that things take time, things take lead time and it compounds with the more things you do, more activities in a process, yeah. it will compound. And that explains and solidifies the, the need to track these numbers and to build this data to understand what the customer really wants and what they really value. And from this process. And I think another thing you, you pointed out is that your sales, it seems it's just being not really too much. It's just being an honest person, listening to the client, what they need, seeing if you can deliver and setting that expectation. There's, um, and really just being, uh, having integrity in your work and delivering on time. And that's pretty much the main fundamentals in delivering a great customer experience in general. So that's great. I like that you pointed that out. And you know what? Like, there's obviously there's definitely a need for marketing and sales. We're not saying that, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But there's, there, it's built from having a great product, service, and experience for the customer. Oh, I know. Because so-
1: I've, I've had this, it's not a debate. I've just had this discussion, let's say, um, you know, with people who are in marketing, uh, I guess. And yeah, you need a market. You constantly got to be marketing. You constantly got to be doing these things. But if you don't have the product and service to back up what you're selling, like I personally, I couldn't do it. So we're forever trying to refine all processes, but the delivery part, um, whenever, if anything comes up, we're trying to figure out exactly what happened, what's going on. So we can then make, and it could be a recruitment thing. It could be a, a process on site. It could be a sales handover to a Uh, And on-site, we've we've ironed out a whole heap of stuff, but we're still forever looking at that because we know that by delivering the product and service that we're offering is going to help with all of those other numbers. It's going to help with the conversion rate being higher. It's going to help with our GP being higher. It's going to help with the efficiency overall. It's going to help with if that's running right, we know we can get back to the customer quickly on the front end. So all of these things that are – and when you said it before about time, I've heard it too many times before where people will say – you know, but it's just my time. They don't. They don't actually put a value on it. I spoke to someone the other day, and we just we were we were talking numbers about bathrooms, and you know roughly what they're charging and roughly what they make, and and it was really interesting that they looked at um, the cost of that renovation only the materials involved, mm. not their. T- so they were doing pretty much all of it, right? Uh, they'd only outsource only a small part of the renovation. And it was interesting to hear that the profit on that job was all the money that was left over. So it's just, it's their time and whatever was left over. It's like, well, no, no, no. If you took your time out and you spent 80 hours on that job, you'd have to calculate that 80 hours based on a, a, a replaceable hourly rate, you know, a realistic hourly rate that would replace you. And then the profit is what's left at the end. Otherwise, you've just got a job. You don't have a business. You've got a job and you're just working and you're sort of mixing up this profit and your time. But if you really genuinely value your time, you're going to go, well, I spent 40 hours or 80 hours or 20 hours on that job and that is worth X and what I had at the end, that's my real profit. And then you know what it's going to take and cost you to replace yourself. So if I'm spending 40 hours, like I said, on a job, I know, okay, well, I can go now and employ someone and I can build up another team based on knowing that I need 20 hours or or I'm just going to do a bathroom a fortnight, which is now 10 hours a week. But how do I know it's 10 hours? Because I've been tracking the time of my time on a site for the last 10 years. Not now, but before. So,
0: Yeah, and you just made me realize that I think I've been thinking about it lately is that you know money you can always make back but your time you can't make back your time that once it's gone it's gone and it's in fact a lot of you know once you're you're in a stable position you that's what you're focusing on managing your time making the most out of the time you have and getting extracting the most value out of it so that's great and i just want to i'm very curious of um how do you value your time like how do you measure it in terms of a dollar value
1: (laughs) I i don't have a dollar value on my time um necessarily, but I I've just got a nominal rate that we put in the P and L, which is a. it's not probably necessarily my full rate, but it would be if I was to hire someone to do a role, like a general manager or something, I've got a rate in there that sort of compensates for for my time. Just in order to know that if I well, I pay myself anyway, but if if I was to replace myself, um, what type of amount that would be, yeah.
0: No, I think that's great to know. I think that's what a lot of um people will be curious about. And then moving on, um, delivering a great experience that will most likely lead to referrals. And from previous conversations with you, it seems like referrals play a huge role yeah. um, well, in any business really. And I just want to ask you, how has referrals impacted your business?
1: Well, referrals have been able to keep, us, keep our um, time costs, let's say, low on when we're quoting a job. So if we're quoting a job, the ability for us to win that job, it's going to be obviously a, a higher conversion rate, which can be call it 70 to 80% for a referral, um, knowing that let's say a Google lead is maybe 20% or it's a low—it's a lower conversion rate. But when you're grouping them together, your average is is obviously going to come up higher um, based on having such a strong referral base. So yeah, f- for us, it's allowed us to be able to deliver quality to a customer which then obviously the referral comes through then they know what the expectation is so they've already set set the expect expectation out a bit as well and then allows us to actually price the job accordingly right so our price for for what we do we know we know and again we've already spoken about this but value for money it's like when you know your numbers and you know at the end of the day what things cost you to deliver properly, you can confidently quote the job and price the job on what's required.
0: Yeah, and I think for a lot of new businesses as well, referrals will probably be the main driver of new business and it's important to just keep building and keep having a great customer experience from that, as Steve has explained, and, and from that, knowing the numbers and using the numbers to reinforce the decisions and make decisions faster. So that's that's great. And then, um, I remember in the last episode, I think it was – yeah, it was the last or the one before, uh, you mentioned the idea of a job pipeline. Yeah. And this is incredibly important because, you know, you're managing – you're not managing usually one job at a time, you're managing many jobs and to manage that kind of that intake, the job intake, um, I just want to uh, explain to the new listeners, can you just explain to them what a job pipeline is and how it works?
1: For- yeah, well, I, I, I think um, whoever's out, like tradies in general, guys that are renovating bathrooms, probably other builders as well, there's, there seems to be an issue of this, you know, seesaw up and down. I'm busy, I'm not busy, I'm busy, I'm not busy. It's not, not understanding how long it actually takes to win a job and then how long it takes from uh, a, a phone call to a job starting. So if you know that number, so we know that from a phone call to a job approval, so someone saying go ahead, on average is 30 days. We know from a phone call to a job starting on average is sixty days. So we know if we don't have sixty days worth of work ahead of us, we're not busy. So a lot of guys out there um, would go, I've got heaps of work, I'm flat stick, I've got, you know, this, 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 and there's four four weeks ahead of them. But if they knew that they might they might not be sixty days, they might be forty days, they might be a hundred days. Depending on what what um, number that is depends on how far your pipeline should be booked out. So for us, we're always 60-plus days. Um, could be 90 days ahead in advance. We might have a gap here and there, which we we intentionally leave open. Um, then we know we're busy. So if we ever fall short on 60 days ahead of ahead of us, we know we've actually got to start pushing to win jobs where a lot of people would be going, well, I've got heaps of work. I've got two months' worth of work. It's so like, no, 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 you're not busy if you've only got – up to that number so if you know that number then you can work towards that
0: yeah absolutely it's such a simple well yeah I guess it's a simple number but it's something that's usually overlooked is that how long does it take to get the job which as you said on average is 60 days and then and then actually just managing that using that as your time of how many jobs you need to have beforehand ahead of you Every time, and once that number drops, that's that's when you need to know when you need to. Perhaps.
1: Yeah, collecting these this data or these numbers, you have to actually believe there's a value to knowing these numbers because you've got to be disciplined in tracking all this. So it, there's a cost in tracking these numbers. Someone's actually, and it's not hard because you're you just disciplined to doing it then and there. So a phone rings, it's 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 allocated, it's documented, um, and then being able to use that data. If you don't think that's there's value, then you're not going to do it. For me, I I see value in every single number that we collect because I can make a decision very very quickly about what I need to do. It, it, we talk about pipeline. If I don't have sixty days ahead of me, and I've got a customer that's calling me, and and it suits my pipeline, and there's a there's a tiny little wiggle room in an offer or a discount, whatever it is. I'm taking that because I want to make sure my pipeline's full because I want to make sure my team's busy because if my team's busy and they're consistent, they're not looking somewhere else and they're going to just dedicate and focus on us, which gives our customer a better experience, which gives us a higher referral rate, which saves us money and time in the long run. So it's all knowing these things and being able to make that decision to me is just, I'm curious to see how just someone goes out there and just starts doing things without tracking it. But that's where they fall down.
0: Yeah, and it saves you, as you said, it saves you so much time yeah. doing all the guesswork because you know it, and then and that's great. And I see, yeah, I, a lot of people will just burn the midnight oil, just working, putting out fires because they don't have that process, the organisation, the documentation, on, and that actually um, made me curious. So yeah, you that's when you would take a job, but I want to know the other side of when do you say no. Um, at any time, like, would it would there be a situation for us say not just your business, but a, a, a business should say no, say like they just have too many jobs on hand and taking another one would affect.
1: Def definitely, we we only have allocated spots, so it's not like someone calls us and says <clears throat> we'd like to go ahead and we need a st- and we want to start in three weeks. So it's like, well, we just have to say no, we can't do it, and and we strongly recommend. Um, to never take the work on. I know, see, this. See, there might be guys, you take the work on and you figure it out. But if you take that job on and your team can't deliver what you've promised, you've now just got multiple unhappy customers instead of having one absolutely raving, fantastic, you know, perfect customer, or you're going to have two or three that are going to go, oh, that wasn't the best, was it? Yeah. So You're better off having that one fantastic, happy, raving customer that's going to go and tell everyone that's going to save you the cost of, of the, the lead and, the, and the, um, the time to convert a job.
0: And I know I'm saying this a lot and I'm repeating it, but it, it's important. It's just knowing your numbers again. It's knowing how much you can comfortably, um, take on at a certain period of time and when you need to say no, when that's going to affect the quality of your output, whether that's you know building a great bathroom on time and delivering a good experience or selling a product or things like that. Um, So that's very important to um, point out. Thank you, Steve. So let's move on from the process of, let's just say, getting the job. And let's talk about the process of doing the job now um, in your um, line of work. Um, So talking about that, what kind of numbers um, do you kind of use in the build process?
1: Yeah, so for us, um, obviously, we understand how long a job takes. So we've got standard schedules. Um, but but throughout the actual build we've got a few of our processes and one of them is called a <clears throat> sorry one of them's called a pre work site audit. So we actually go to a customer's it's all said and done, everything's signed off, but we still have this process or procedure that we go through, which is a visit a week before with a customer, and we're verifying every single little detail that we um, are going to do what we've been contracted to do, and we we track that time because we know if you don't go out early enough, because part of that process, some of it is checking that you know PCs have been ordered and uh, ready for delivery, tiles have been um, ordered for delivery, rubbish solutions, all these. There's a whole list of things. There's about thirty things that need to happen, and. We know if that appointment isn't done at the desired time, then the effect may be. Uh, we haven't had time. I'll give you an example. We haven't had time to collect an asbestos sample test seven days prior to then organise a clearance certificate in order for the job to be demolished on the day that we've booked out. So if that was that, if we we didn't do that appointment on that desired time, and we looked at it, and and we we didn't even do that appointment, we started day one and we hit asbestos right what happens then so then we've got to stop get the relevant person to come in there, got to wait five days for a clearance, got to do all these things and then at the customer's expense and then at the customer's expense is now a bad experience and then from us that potentially leads to less referrals and also not not just that, it affects the other jobs that we've got running or for the fact that we haven't gone and um Conducted this appointment at the the correct time that we've allocated. So we track that. That's that's a number that we track to make sure that that happens at the desired time. We we've got critical critical inspections on a job, and that's also tracked because we know that if on a schedule we've booked out um, plumbing's complete or let's say the villa board's about to happen, we know prior to villa board happening that we're going to inspect every single bit of work that we've done up until then, and it's just an opportunity to stop, take time, and we know that that needs to be done on that day. If it's done after that day, we know there's an issue with the schedule. If it's done too early, we, we can look at that number and go, okay, that guy's ahead of the game. He's a good starter. He gets his stuff going, but we know then the next number, which is the practical completion, if that happens too late, that means that we, I'd look at that and go, well, that guy's good. He's, he can get in on a job and he can focus up front, but maybe he's, he's got an issue with split focus. So the other job that's running on the other side is getting delayed because he's focusing on the first one. So I would look at that. That, that might not make sense, but, but I would look at that number operationally and go, okay, this guy's fantastic up front and he's got a split focus problem. Has he got the right team member? So I would use those numbers to help operationally make sure that that team is right in order to deliver what we've what we've promised.
0: No, I got that loud and clear. I think that's a great example of using numbers and tracking processes to diagnose issues. And in this case, um, team member performance. And I think that leads on to the next question of like how. I guess you've already explained it, how you actually use numbers to track team member performance. But another interesting thing is that. Um. With the team members, do you communicate these numbers to them and how has that experience been? Because generally in my case, when I talk numbers with people, they just fall asleep. They kind of like, they do the nod. <laughs> so I'm very curious personally, like how do you kind of get them on board or just to communicate this to them?
1: For the right the right person who actually wants to deliver to a high performance level, right, and, and has pride in their work and wants to, Better themselves and you know um, look at ways to improve. They will all embrace what what we've created um, because being able to to review and monitor your own work and be able to try and tweak things and and then see the improvement based on again documentation. Um, the the uptake to be able to um have that clarity and the result from what you're running. And again, like I said, to be able to tweak it, if for whatever reason something's falling short, the, the uptake on that's absolutely fine. I know myself; I, I I couldn't live without knowing where I'm at in regards to again what I've committed to and what I forecasted and what 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 was set out to be achieved. I'd want to know where I'm at.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also the way it's communicated. I find that um, uh, from previous cases and working with other. Um, businesses I see that they use the tool as almost and they have that tone that they've that the team members done something wrong and they need to chase this target and it has this kind of pretense of oh it's it's a negative thing knowing these numbers but if you change the conversation and frame it in the way that these numbers are helping them in fact that uh, it's actually helping them and it's something that you work together to improve and that it's for them to kind of improve themselves that makes all the difference for to help people and team members receive and understand and appreciate these numbers, and as you said, to know exactly how they're doing. Because you know it's good to know that you know having you're doing a great job and stuff, but it's also nice to know exactly the measurement of how well you're doing and what you can improve on and diagnosing the issues and the core things and having that proof there. So that's
1: yeah, I mean, I, that, that's I, great. I, I think Ben, Ben, what you sort of said there about. You know, communicating it back and and sort of being able to use these numbers to highlight some some of the processes. So, I'll give you an example. Right, we're talking about on site. So, one of the tasks on site is to install a builder sign. Right. So, I I remember years ago I'd I'd struggle getting the guys to install a builder sign. It'd be like it'd sometimes sit on the side over here and sit in the van and say, I didn't have time to do this, do that." But when you can actually show them some numbers and some data to go, here's a job that we just won from a builder sign because we track where our leads come from and where our converted jobs are from, obviously because that comes from the lead. I know that a customer has has called us from seeing a sign at night, from a night walk. They've been walking at night. Um, so they don't see a van during the day that we don't have a branded trailer on that site. Um, it's just a skip in and that's it. So, they're walk, walking at night, they see a Navali sign, and they call us. We convert that job, we deliver a great experience for that customer. That customer then refers us. That customer actually referred us to about five different people, and those five different people continue to refer us. So, if you look at that and go, well, hang on, guys, listen, stop for a second. You don't have two minutes to install a sign. Let me explain to you what that two minutes is going to potentially reflect. And that two minutes potentially reflects a customer. And then all these referrals. And that one thirty dollar sign resulted in probably about five, six hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue. And that's still growing because now that referral base is still there. So now there might be 15 people out of that first initial sign that took two to five minutes. I'll give it I'll give them the extra three minutes to to install. And, it's, and then you'll turn around and say, well, I, I, I didn't have the time but you, but I also don't have the time to go and keep quoting because that one customer then led to a referral which saved me. My conversion rate goes through the roof based on the referral. So that five minutes has to be considered by the guys on site but it's not going to be considered if they don't understand the effect of them doing it. So when we can say, well, we're... Give you it's consistent work. It's every week the job starts, and and that's all based on these little things that get done. But being able to track it allows me to go back to these guys and go, "Here's here's the result from you doing that," and that sort of gives them the confidence and the the guys, um, you know, the the ability to understand why they're doing something.
0: And you just raised a great point that you show something that seems intangible, like numbers and abstract and everything, and you made it tangible. It's like, look, just because you did a sign, we got this job, and it yeah, and and it led to this, and it led to that. And I think that's how you communicate it. You turn the intangible into something tangible, and I think it makes them feel great that they've done something great. Yeah, and and it's they're a part. Way. They're
1: a part of it. Yeah. yeah that's absolutely. Exactly right.
0: That's great to know. And um, I want to ask now. So we. I remember we were talking before about you know you have this system of processes and say that a new team member comes on you actually account for let's just say there's if, it, if something goes wrong in the job you actually have like um fail safes in the processes to protect say um new team members from errors is is this correct or am I completely No no
1: yeah well we've got everything sort of uh, we sort of call it like a paint by numbers so we've broken down the whole process into just standard tasks. So it, it's it's not going to eliminate issues for, for someone who's starting, but it's definitely going to minimize them. And then obviously we're not throwing someone in the deep end, we're putting them with someone who's actually, you know, knows the process intimately, which again, minimizes and the expectation for there to be no mistakes or it's not there. So we, we expect and we accept that there'll be things that go wrong every now and then. And as long as we can Um, try our absolute hardest to make sure it's not an impact to the customer and it's just an impact to us. And if it's an impact to us financially, we don't care because we know that's part of training. Um, And and all the processes have been set out to minimise. That's almost eliminating the issue on the customer. And if there is an issue, it's going to be on our end. And it just gives that guy time to um, get used to the process. So, n- yes, we have processes in place to minimize that, not eliminate it, uh, and it definitely helps them hit the ground running.
0: And realize, and just re- recognizing that like, that's a cost to you, not the customer, and that's something yeah. I, that I like to that, that you said as well. So in terms of cost, um, let's talk about finances so hopefully no one dozes off now because from experience that's what happens. But anyway, um, for your business, can you just kind of outline the main financial numbers you use in terms of, yeah, the budget and finances for that?
1: Oh, so we're, we're just tracking our uh, obviously average, average contract price. So we know our average contract price. We, we know um, the average bathroom per customer. So that helps us forecasting. So we need to know that. You know, not every customer has one bathroom. Some have three, some have two. Um, so we, we know the amount of bathrooms for each customer. We know the average contract price. We know the average bathroom price. We know our, um, you know, we obviously know our average gross profit on the job. And we, we even track and calculate how much time the supervisor spends on the site to understand whether that's a hands-on supervisor or if he can actually manage multiple jobs um, so so, with some of those financial numbers that's we we, we also um, understand the uh, supply part of it so if we 're supplying pc items to customers, we want to know the average cost of of that as well so that that 's probably the main the main numbers for for the financials total revenue obviously that's a that 's a given um, but but breaking it down per per customer and per bathroom mm
0: and I think even from the customer's experience and expectation, uh, pricing is something that's quite interesting. That there's a lot of costs that aren't really usually known um, in a bathroom renovation in a quote. So, and I feel that like your business um, points out to just be as transparent as possible and to let these costs be known. And I think I think from a general point of view, being transparent and outlining these costs to the customers. Has a net positive effect, and has that been the case when you just transparent, and you let them know this is how much it is. It's generally been a positive kind of.
1: Well, we it's, you know, we're, we're pricing a job to deliver it, you know, to an absolute. We're, we're pricing a job to deliver the best possible experience to a customer, right? And that's through quality of trade, quality of material, and quality of project management, right? So we're going to go through and make sure we've ticked off every box. It all comes with a cost. Everything comes with a cost it's only whether the customer sees value in that part, right? And we've already spoken about this previously. So I, I, let's say for me, let's say our bathroom's $20,000 and uh, competitor's $15,000. That guy who's renovating that $15,000 bathroom, he's potentially making more money than us, right? Because he's not paying the trades the right money. He's using a $5 silicon tube instead of a 15 So there's all these costs and the cost, and it's hard because we don't break those costs down to a customer to that level. Um, we're just using those materials, and it's it's part of our scope. Um, so so we try to educate the customer on the cost of doing it properly. Some get it, some don't. Some realize after the fact when they go for the for the cheaper price, and, and it, that's why it goes back to. Um, the guys who are starting out and they're getting into this business, knowing what the real costs are to deliver the real, the real, um, a real positive experience to the customer, you you would stop cutting some of those costs out of your delivery of operations if you understood that delivering a superior product and service gets you referrals, which gets you uh, a higher conversion rate, which keeps your costs down. So it's sort of like a false economy, I believe. It's like you try and win a job on a cheap price. You have to cut your price, which means you have to pay more money for advertising or you're doing less jobs or you're not getting consistent work, which means your team's not going to be there for you all the time because as soon as they get something else somewhere else. So what you think you're saving by cutting costs and not charging appropriately or delivering the appropriate service you actually just lose somewhere else. It's this short-term money decision that I see happening all the time. So they make these short, short-term short decisions based on money, which then actually just you just pay for it down the track in some way, shape, or form. And more often than not, you don't even realize that you're paying for it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's – Definitely a common issue in just general um, new businesses, or even just existing businesses, focusing too much on profits. I think everyone has seen cases when a business focuses so much on the the profit, they forget about their own delivery of their product or service, and that falls apart. And, oh, and soon, if
1: I haven't, I haven't seen a business that goes out there with the intention of making a bucket load of money. Um, over how can I actually create the best possible experience for my customer and my team uh, actually succeed. I haven't seen it. They might think they are short term, but long term it doesn't, it doesn't last, it doesn't work. So I, I like we, we talk about numbers, right? And I actually don't focus at all on the money side of it. So I'm focusing on all of the, how am I going to get how am I going to get that estimate to the customer quicker? Because I know that estimate, getting that estimate quickly to the customer is a positive thing. It's a positive experience. I'm not worried about what it actually, you know, I'm saving this or I'm saving that. So no, no, I'm going to get it to them quickly. I'm going to make sure my jobs run right. I'm going to make sure I understand these numbers and yes, money gets spat out of it, but I'm not delivering a bathroom and service then trying to focus on how much am I going to make it? This is already preset and predetermined. I've priced it accordingly knowing at the end of the day, my average is an average and it's going to come, it's going to be spat out the other end. So I don't have to focus on that at all. I've just got to focus on making sure that that what we've promised is delivered. That's it. Simple as that. Do as you say you're going to do. It's it, You can break it probably back down to that.
0: Yeah. That's a great point. You just said that it comes from the process. You don't have to, actively chase these financial things. In fact, you should be focusing on the process. And if the process is done right, you know, a lot of, you know, sports teams, they say, you know, trust the process and the results will come. And it's definitely the same in business and um, for Steve's case as well. So I definitely agree on that as well. And another point I like to kind of add or well, just a question is that how important is, you know, I think it's quite interesting that you guys are cash positive in your business, which I find that a lot of businesses, they they forget about the cash. (laughs) They they focus on revenue, but they don't realize about the timing, about having enough assets and money in the bank to keep going and to pay people and to pay costs and stuff like that, like liquidity ratio for the accountants out there. But anyway, um, yeah, how important is um, being cash positive for you, and how do you guys kind of achieve that?
1: I would say we're very fortunate to be in the space we're in, being bathrooms. Um, again, anyone who's going to be renovating bathrooms, you've got this ability. Um, if it's done correctly, you should. Or it's, it's a cash flow positive business. We are collecting a <clears throat> deposit from a customer which to us just secures a start date, right? So so we've already got money before we start, secures a start date. Four days in, three to four days in, we've got a progress payment of 40%, which then pays for demolition, rough in, uh, you've sheeted it and you've waterproofed it, right? So that's already been done. We've been paid. Let's say you've got guys on the salary and you've got subcontractors. By the time you get paid, they haven't, by the time you get paid from the customer, they haven't been paid yet. So you're forever in front. So the way it's been designed is – and it's and it's a, it is at a very nice balance for the customer as well. So the customer's never at a point where they've outlaid money and they haven't had um, something given to them. The only time that is is at a deposit stage, but at the end of the day, we're securing a start date, right? Every other time, they're usually ahead of the game with our progress payments, but we haven't had to pay those bills – until we've received the money. So we're always ahead in the in the cash, right? But in saying that, that's all good and well when you're operating consistently, right? But when you're starting out, it's not easy. Right. So for for us, when we started out, again, we only we only renovated a handful of bathrooms in the first year. And for the next couple of years after that, it went it didn't go up crazy amount because we maintained our trade being a Tyler kept tiling and slowly build up the bathroom business. I didn't stop and start when you stop and start a business, it's very difficult because you end up having this cash flow issue because you need the money from the next one to get to it's, it's painful. So for me, if you are considering starting renovating bathrooms, you would maintain your cash flow from your current trade or whatever you are doing. And you would slowly build up the bathroom business. And that gives you time again, to build your team, refine your processes, build your processes and look at all these numbers and make some decisions. And then you can slowly move away from whatever it is that you were doing.
0: And we're running out of time, Steve. So one last question is that how many hours of sleep do you get because you've broken down the numbers and you've optimized the processes?
1: Yeah, I I have a normal sleep pattern of eight hours a night. Um, Look, I don't think it needs to be, as difficult as um, uh, people make it, I guess. Um, It doesn't need to be a 20-hour a day work week. Using the numbers – and it's not now – just going through this whole episode talking about numbers, it it works with people. So knowing the numbers is great and that helps us with the business but it's having the right people. So having the right people on board and knowing the numbers – allows myself to have a, a normal work life. So it's very, very rare that um, I would work on a weekend. I haven't worked on a weekend in, in years. Um, I, I come into the office early because I, I like it. Uh, more often than not, I'm just finishing at 5 o'clock with everyone else. Um, being able to have that um, normality is, is like you said, it's based after years of refining that process. But more, more to that, I, I remember sitting – actually it was in the in the office and i i had a a friend of mine who's a, who's a mentor and i i noticed that um his phone never rang and he's he's um the ceo and owner of a very very successful large business and I thought, oh, that's interesting. So he, his phone doesn't ring and he probably sleeps like a baby too. Um, and it's based on having the right people in the right system uh, following the process. So for myself now as well, I've, I've sort of – whenever I've received a phone call, I've gone, okay, why have I received a phone call? Where in the process is something being missed? Um, I would look at that. And now right now um, my main focus is actually just making sure that obviously our customers are happy and the business uh, mechanics and the machines operating and getting the right people on board. And because we've been able to do that at this point in our business, and we're going to have more challenges. Every step we grow, we're going to have more challenges, which which we're used to, and we're fine, and we accept all that. Um, but for now, um, yeah, it's just normal work hours, and and that's based on us knowing the numbers and uh, having the right people. And yes, and same thing with with the phone. The phone doesn't ring. I might not get a phone call all day, which which to me is is sort of. Um, I don't know, a bit of a a milestone, I guess, to be able to not have that phone ring as a typical you know tradie where the phone's ringing off the hook you can't even get to to the phone you're so busy answering phone calls that you're not working or you're working so much that you're not answering the phone call and if you're not answering the phone call there's a cause and effect on that so being able to get the business to that point um, it's definitely possible Um, it is about knowing your numbers and having the right people to be able to help facilitate all those um, decisions
0: and I think that's the best reason of why you should know your numbers so that's all we have time for today steve thank you for hopping on thanks ben you're a legend and that is the end of the episode thank you for listening to the navali podcast behind the bathrooms if you have any questions or would like to reach out feel free to send us a message on the navali bathrooms facebook or instagram and stay tuned for our next episode